Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. It's Friday, March 27th, and we have a lot to talk about this week. Secondary markets, Lime and Bird layoffs, Airbnb, extending the runway, Connie's event on Wednesday, and yes, SoftBank. Connie, you did a story this week about the secondary market. You interviewed Hans Swildens of Industry Ventures. Tell us about it. I'd be happy to. He is the founder of Industry Ventures, which is a 20-year-old investment firm that has historically had pretty great timing. It does both primary and secondary investments, but it was really founded around secondaries and came to life in 2000, right as the market was crashing after the sort of go-go.com era. Back then, it proceeded to snap up a bunch of venture firms' portfolios for pennies on the dollar. Some of those, interestingly, were portfolios of corporate venture arms that just sort of threw in the towel, which I kind of wonder if we're going to see that again. But I wanted to talk with Hans and other secondary players to see if they're getting calls from startups and venture firms again now that are looking for some liquidity. The answer to that is yes. He said last week he was receiving calls from people who had turned down earlier offers and were trying to see if those offers might still be good. And he said he had to say no. He's aware of other players that also had to say no. And it's not really surprising. As he explained it, nobody's willing to buy up stakes right now because they just don't know where the pricing is going to be in another few months. He said they don't want to pay $10 million or something today that might be worth $5 million in another month or two. It's kind of like trying to catch a falling knife. He did say he expects that they're going to have more insight into what's going on in another quarter or two. So for our VC listeners out there, maybe wait to give him and the other secondary shops out there until then to call them up. Yeah, I can just imagine how that call might have gone. Hey, Hans, uh, how about that pre-COVID pricing we were talking about? <laughs> also awkward, lots of layoffs in Silicon Valley. We're hearing that there's news afoot at Lime and Bird. Connie? It's true. So these are two of what have been the buzziest businesses in recent years, mobility companies. But Bird, for example, the LA-based e-scooter company, just laid off at least 30% of its employees, as we reported in TechCrunch today. And no surprise here, you know, considering no one is going anywhere, uh, so no one's using scooters right now, and I'm guessing it's probably seeing close to zero revenue. Similarly, Lime, its biggest rival, is reportedly trying to raise emergency funds at a valuation of just $400 million. That's 80% less than the $2.4 billion valuation it was assigned last year. This is news from the information, which says the company has already shut down its scooter rentals in all but one market and only has enough money to last a few months. Hugely disappointing news. Yes, I loved to make fun of those companies and their business models. But on the other hand, they did do away with a lot of cars, which was a good thing. In other news, we talked about Airbnb last week, and it seems that there is a lot of trouble afoot. The company is reportedly scaling back considerably. Connie, what are you hearing? I don't cover Airbnb, but according to a new report I'm just now reading, the accommodations giant is halting all of its marketing, it's pausing most of its hiring, and it's likely withholding employee bonuses as it tries to extend its runway. I guess its losses have already stretched into the, quote, hundreds of millions of dollars. So you have to guess that the company, which has 7,000 employees around the globe, will have to cut some percentage of them as well. Yes, and the company was gearing up for an IPO and letting its marketing guns blaze. So this must be a huge disruption to its plans. 
Actually, it seems like extending the runway was a big theme for your event on Wednesday. Connie, do you want to tell us about it? Sure. Uh, So yes, we hosted our first ever all digital Strictly VC Insider evening, which turned out to be fun for me. And I hope attendees too. We talked with a lot of really interesting industry players, all of whom talked about how COVID-19 is impacting them and their businesses. So Gary Tan and Alexis Ohanian of Initialized Capital, for example, said they're telling their startups they need to find the runway to get through 18 months, which is a really long time, especially if you haven't raised capital in 2020. So again, I expect we're going to see many, many more layoffs. Alexis and Gary did say that they've been pushing their founders to raise, even dating back to the point where WeWork had pulled its IPO last fall. I think that's true of a lot of investors. Uh, Certainly those companies are better positioned than others right now. I heard that the call wasn't quite as smooth as you might have liked. I know that from firsthand experience since we lost our internet at home base (laughs) here and you had to quickly scramble to find a new location. So many things conspired to do this event. I mean, of course, it was supposed to be an offline event at an actual venue initially. Then when it moved online, I couldn't really get any support from Zoom, which is overloaded with new customers. I finally figured out what to do. It's pretty self-explanatory if you're just looking to do something bare bones. And then, yes, we lost our internet on Wednesday. I thought I might actually melt into the floor. Thankfully, our good friend Joanna, sensing my desperation, let me come over and do the Zoom call from her house. And we actually enjoyed a nice meal afterward, too, which felt like a treat given all these social distancing measures. It sounds like we're not the only people who are suffering from low bandwidth blues these days. Given cable internet is a shared medium and everybody's at home downloading Netflix, our internet is creeping along just like everybody else's. No episode of Strictly VC Download would be complete without a story about SoftBank. Connie, what's going on? There was a story this week, poor SoftBank, in the Financial Times that before SoftBank moved on plans to sell $41 billion in assets to pay down its debt and boost a share buyback, it had explored an attempt to take itself private. Uh, It apparently had held discussions with the hedge fund Elliott Management, which is sort of known right now as an activist investor that's trying to shake things up at Twitter. Also, Abu Dhabi's sovereign wealth fund, Mubabdala, which is one of the anchor investors in the original Vision Fund. And also for what it's worth, it also asked SoftBank to help fund its own venture outfit a year or two ago. Anyway, we'll see what happens. SoftBank assets are apparently worth three times what its share price reflects today. Still, with you know WeWork, Uber, the hotel booking company Oyo, not profitable when times were better than this, it really does beg the question what these companies' economics will look like in 2020. Because of COVID-19, you can just imagine massive write-downs coming. In fact, one of SoftBank's bets, a broadband constellation company called OneWeb, is expected to file for bankruptcy today, reports TechCrunch, after more funding failed to come through. This is an eight-year-old company that had raised around $3 billion altogether, including across $2 billion-plus rounds that were both led by SoftBank. So it can pretty much kiss goodbye that investment, too. And that's This Week in News. Next up, an interview with Maurice Werdiger of WTI, Western Technology Investment. Raising capital for your startup fund or SPV? Founder Suites Investor CRM will help you manage your investor pipeline, and their database will help you fill your funnel with relevant prospects. 
Rounding out the suite are Pitch Deck Hosting and Investor Newsletter Tools to help you market your deal most effectively. Create a free account at www.foundersuite.com and use code STRICTLYVC for a 30% discount on any paid plan. Offer ends soon. And now our interview with Maurice Wettiger, the CEO of WTI, which is among the more highly regarded venture debt shops in the startup world, having been in business for the last 40 years. Because of COVID-19 and its wide-reaching impacts, WTI is also getting a whole lot of calls right now from startups and their investors who are looking to renegotiate their agreements with the firm. Maurice, so nice to have you here with us today. I'm so glad you could make the time. Let's start off by just talking a little bit about Western Technology Investment, better known as WTI, and how you differ from your competitors. Hi, Connie. Thank you very much. It's a terrific opportunity to be here with you today. We are different from a number of different players in the market on a few key metrics. One is we're not publicly traded, so we're a private BDC. We get our money from institutional investors, university endowments, nonprofits, sovereign wealth funds, groups like that. Secondly, we're a team that's comprised primarily of former entrepreneurs. And so all of us have started and run our own businesses and work closely in the entrepreneurial environments. And I think that that allows us to have a very different connection with a CEO and a management team than perhaps others in our space. And then finally, we don't use financial covenants, nor do we use subjective defaults. And so the money that we are lending is money that the companies can truly use for the runway extension and for the benefits of doing a debt deal in the first place. So I think we're quite unique in that regard relative to uh, many of the other players in the market. I'm sorry, I don't know what a subjective covenant means. So in some lenders' documents, Connie, a lender can say that there's been a material adverse event, perhaps a macro event in the world, such as we're going through today, and that that can constitute a default. And so I think it's, it's a different type of capital. It can be fair weather capital if a lender can call their money back due to not hearing the right thing from investors with respect to supporting their company, company severely underperforming plan, that would be called a MAC default, material adverse change default, or a material adverse event, MAE, where they can just point to what's frankly been the situation we're in all today, where things are materially different than everybody had anticipated. In all those cases, it is subjective. It's the lender's call. And the way they define those terms is very broad. Again, we don't have those at WTI. And so we like to call ourselves founder-friendly capital because it's money that you can really use when you need it. Hi, Maurice. It's Alex. Uh, I understand that you don't have subjective covenants, but is it true that you have some sort of covenant around how much money a company keeps on its balance sheet? Are there no financial covenants whatsoever? There are no financial covenants whatsoever, Alex. We do not require a certain minimum amount of cash to be on a company's balance sheet. Maurice, I'm interested in knowing what's happening out there right now. I had an interview last night with the founders of Initialized Capital, Alexis Ohanian and Gary Tan, and we were talking about the debt market, and they were mentioning that it's a really great time for debt lenders to be lending money given that short-term interest rates are now zero or practically zero. How does that factor into your calculations? I mean, obviously, on the one hand, that's wonderful for you. On the other hand, you have a lot of clients, I'm guessing, who are in a real bind. I think our market is really not correlated to what's going on with the Fed borrowing rate. We've seen pricing modestly move higher 
And that's because of the demand for capital in this environment. It's an alternative to venture capital. So I wouldn't say that we're correlated to movements in the in the interest rate environment. And I guess I'm not sure I agree with what Initialize said about it being a great time to be a lender. I think we're going to see a lot of great opportunities at WTI. Many of the people that we know are in our marketplace are not looking to deploy new capital right now. They're very focused inwardly. And I think there's a very different risk tolerance than there was just a short time ago. And so, you know, I would say the typical venture back company is going to have a harder time raising venture debt today than, than they have previously. That said, I think from our perspective, it's a wonderful time for us to meet with new companies that we think are going to be some of the leaders of the next generation when we all come out of this. But in dicey times, lenders tend to pull in their horns. And all of us, I think, are trying to be thoughtful about what we're doing with new capital that we're deploying. What kind of conversations are you having with your portfolio companies today about the way forward in this crazy COVID-19 climate? So we've just done a check-in with all of our companies to understand you know, how they're doing. We've uh, graded the whole portfolio from everywhere from an A, which would be a company that was already doing well and might even have a better opportunity now due to some business process changes, down to an F, where the company was underperforming and was hoping to raise money or have an acquisition occur in the near term, and that's going to be challenged. So we've, we've gone through that exercise. And I think that, you know, there's really two parts to your question. One is, you know, if we're being asked to restructure a loan, what do we do? And we certainly do look at it as a, thir- a three-legged stool where we collaborate with the company to try to understand their go-forward plan. Most companies are reforecasting and cutting expenses. In many cases, management's cutting their salaries all the way to minimum wage just to make sure that cash can last longer. And then, of course, there's the question of whether or not the inside investors want to put in more capital. For us, there is a three-legged stool that can stand on its own if the WTI or the venture debt firm comes together with management and new capital from investors to give companies 12 to 18 months of, of runway. So those are the types of things we're asking. Does this plan make sense? Is there participation all the way around the table, everybody? And is there kind of a winning strategy that we can all look forward to? On new deals, we're asking, I guess I'd say similar questions, but it's about in the, in the current environment, as best as we can see it, what does this business mean? And uh, how much runway do they have? And why will they continue to be able to execute and prosper amidst what are just very different headwinds than we've seen before? And many companies have good answers to that. Certainly companies in telemedicine are, are benefiting from this environment. We have some of those companies and we're seeing others. Companies in the medical diagnostic spaces, companies that are involved in certainly virtual meetings like the ones we're having right now, some e-commerce companies, some next-gen insurance companies with niche products that I think are going to be more suited to the current environment than ever. So there's certainly a lot of opportunity, but then there are sectors that are really having a difficult time. We're sectors with on, in online recruiting, some of the real estate tech, certainly some of the bricks and mortar retail and other things like that. And so I think it's incumbent upon us to understand whether a go-forward strategy does make sense. And then I'd put an overlay on top of that about valuation, because I think one of the biggest risk factors we know a company might have is the valuation being very high and therefore a disincentive for new investors to want to put in money. It's very difficult to do an inside round or a down round with a company that's overvalued. And so that's something we also take into account. Do you ever make your continued participation in a deal contingent on additional warrants or perhaps a board seat? We don't take board seats because we believe that there is a divide between debt and equity and that It's the responsibility of the equity investors to be on the board and for the debt player to have a different role 
there is some inherent conflict of interest, I think, if a debt provider is on the, on the board of a company. So we don't take board seats ourselves. With respect to the additional compensation, we don't typically look for additional compensation as we scale our investments, but instead we often will structure investments with milestone-based fundings where companies need to prove that they can execute against plan roughly such that we're funding increasing success metrics because I think debt itself can be a risk factor to companies that are underperforming. And so we'll try to thoughtfully talk to a team about layering in our capital upon achievement of inflection points and milestones that make it safer and safer for them to take on more and more debt, which may be counterintuitive. But as these companies progress and, and do hit these milestones, it can be safer. So that's that's what we're really doing. We negotiate most of the compensation up front in terms of how we might earn warrants based on the funding of those tranches. You mentioned that the VC participation in these deals is pretty crucial to you. You also said that you are rating these deals on an A to F basis. Can I ask, what do you do with the companies that rate an F? Again, with WTI, since we don't have any subjective default covenants, we don't end relationships even if they get tough. We try to work through them. So with respect to your question about the Fs, as I mentioned, these might be companies that otherwise had very good prospects, but had the misfortune of being in the middle of financing or M&A discussions and therefore very short on cash right now. And so in those cases, we may get through to the other side with them, but it's going to take that sort of three-way approach of some additional capital, some significant belt tightening, and then some loan relief from us. And so the way we defined an F was just a company that may have already had some business challenges, but then unfortunately was running out of cash in the near-term environment. So the very same company, if it had 12 months of cash, wouldn't be something we would be worried about right now. Because I think with the, with expense reductions and time to execute against the new environment, companies like that can typically make it through to the other side. So we are spending time trying to collaborate with the companies that are in the most dire trouble. But we don't walk away from relationships. I mean, as a fiduciary to our own fund, even if the company ultimately does run out of cash and even has no forward prospects, we'll then work with the management team to see if there's a, a plan to sell the assets, maybe to license the intellectual property, maybe to mothball the technology, seek further patents in the future, do maybe recap it, restart it. We'll do almost anything we that makes sense with a management team, and we'll try to compensate them to help us be part of that, that strategy going forward to the end of ultimately trying to get our money back, even if it takes years and years. So ironically, interestingly, many of our best relationships and closest friendships have come from companies that have been through that valley of death. Given these unprecedented times, are you offering loan relief to a number of your portfolio companies? So again, I think there's two categories. There's our existing portfolio, and then there's new companies. So new companies we would look at on their own merits with a standard approach to a new venture debt deal. Those won't be ones that would qualify for a loan relief. I think the ones that we would look at for restructures or loan relief, as you stated, would be ones where there's a real significant hardship and a real need. I think, of course, you know, across an entire portfolio, not all companies are going to qualify for that. So we're going to spend our time and our effort and our restructure bucket on companies that need it most where we can have the biggest impact. And so, again, it's going to need to pass the test of there being a, a thoughtful plan, shared participation from management, from us and from investors toward a common goal of trying to extend the time frame for a company to reconfigure itself to survive. Would that include deferring payment altogether for a certain period of time? It can. That's rare. I would say the more typical response would be a reduction in payments uh, of some amount from whatever was previously agreed upon. But if a company can't pay, then it can't pay. So in those instances, it could mean a total deferment of capital 
And we would consider that if there was a reason to, if that capital that was going was to go towards trying to complete an M&A transaction, for example, or if there was another compelling reason, that would have to be a company that's very short on cash, probably less than 45 days worth of cash in those instances with no prospects for further participation from inside investors to put in more money. And you know, it might be a company where they've already done two inside rounds and failed to meet some key objectives that were set out as the goals of that plan. So they might really be up against it. Fortunately, we don't have many of those. But in the instances where we do, management's working for minimum wage towards the goal of trying to bail us out and has the right positive attitude. We'll do that. We'll do that. The last thing we want is having management walking away from the company because they're our only hope. And so we just have to calibrate how severe a situation is on some sort of Richter scale. Without financial covenants or, or subjective covenants, it sounds like trust is essential among WTI management and venture investors. How do you get comfortable that everybody is telling the truth and on the level? It's a great question, and it's on cue with how we think of things. Each of us as partners at WTI has relationships that we've built over our careers that are trusted relationships. And you know we're lucky that I think that it's a pretty long list of people and firms that we would put on that list. For me personally, I've worked very closely with Josh Koppelman and the first round capital team throughout their entire existence, and even worked with Josh before he founded First Round when he was just doing individual funds. And I think we've had a very nice close relationship with a lot of the first generation super angel, as they were called at the time, funds. We've worked with the Founders Fund since Fund One and have gotten to know all of the partners there over the years and had I think, a nice collaborative relationship with them on a number of different deals, small and large. And I've even introduced a few deals to them that they ended up taking a hard look at or doing. So I think we've gravitated towards that generation of venture investor who has the respect of the entrepreneur. And it's quite often like Josh or like Peter Thiel or like many others, Roger Ehrenberg of IEA is another person I would single out that we respect greatly, are just people who've done it themselves. Roger himself was a former WTI CEO of his company, Monitor 110. And it turns out we actually have several dozen former CEOs that are now VCs. And so we tend to gravitate towards people that have run businesses, I think, that don't bring attitude to the table, but instead are really trying to help their companies from the ground up. And you know, I think there's all types of venture firms, there's all types of venture debt firms, but we gravitate towards that type of relationship where it's people we've known for a really long time and we feel we have kind of a relationship of equality with, and that includes with the management team. I think it's just a nice setup. We are going in with both feet, diving into the deep end of the pool. We can't get our money back. We charge more for that. We tend to have higher warrant coverage than our competitors as well, but we're taking more risk. And I think that in the end, all companies are looking at choosing a product that exists somewhere on the risk spectrum. You can get a cheaper venture debt offering from others in our market, but it might come with some of these restrictions or covenants or, or a different type of structure internally. You might be dealing with a sales rep rather than with a partner. And so, you know, ultimately, the companies that we end up working with choose us for the reasons I've articulated. But there's no one right answer to what's the right venture debt firm or the venture debt product for a company. But for WTI, it's really hard for us to do primary diligence on businesses. So we do need to rely on those trusted investors and board members to, to kind of get some calibration. Given the market situation and the possibility that we won't have a rebound for quite a long time, are you going to have to add covenants to your deals? In other words, is your current business model sustainable? I hope we can survive. The firm's been around through four big downturns since 1981. 
I and others at my firm were there for the 01 and the 08 downturn. So I think that the approach works. And I think it's because we're focused on trying to get it right on the front end. We're trying to find good companies, good teams, and then structure deals where we're not overburdening the company with too much debt until they've proven that they can execute somewhat against plan. And then also hope that there's some collateral downside value. If the company ends up failing, that with management's assistance, there might be an exit where we can still sell the assets to get our money back. So we've been very focused on good, pure technologies, taking a senior secured lien on the company so that we can work with management outside of the court system if they end up running out of cash. We do model that we're going to take losses as well in all of our funds. We've told all of our investors that there's a certain loss rate that we expect, a certain range of losses that we expect from our loans because of the fact that we can't get them back the moment we're nervous. And I think that the overall bet someone's making if they're interested in WTI as either a partner or as an investment is that you know we'll be able to get into good companies with good entrepreneurs that have upside where our warrant gains can you know help offset the losses and overall over the course of a fund we can generate an expected return profile that's within the range that we've previously been able to achieve I've long thought WTI is interesting in that it focuses on debt, but it also does equity investing. What is the ratio of equity to debt deals that you're doing? We do have the right to invest out of our fund's equity as well. And I think there's three types of investments that we make. And I'll get to your ratio question, but we do some small early stage investing with particularly entrepreneurs that we've worked with in the past when they're starting a new company and we want to be involved right out of the gate so that we can mutually kind of track one another for potential venture debt deal in the future. We also have the right to invest pro rata in future rounds. Uh, it's a right that our warrants give us. So if a company's raising a new round, we can elect to exercise our, our pro rata right to invest. And then in some cases, we'll even make uh, slightly larger investments if we really like the opportunity and feel the company's progressed nicely over an arc of time. Um, it won't be more than 10% of our fund's total commitments. So that gives you some sense of maybe the, the, the ratio. So more than nine-tenths of what we do is just, is just venture debt. The equity is, is very selective and intended to be strategic and accretive to our returns, but certainly to give us a perspective and a window into companies that we might not otherwise get, be able to get involved with at that time. Sure. You somewhat famously managed to get a seed stage check into Facebook, as I recall. How did you pull that off? Facebook was a wonderful stroke of luck. Since I had worked with Sean Parker at Plaxo, which was the company he came from prior to joining the Facebook. This is publicly disclosed, I believe, in the book, The Facebook Effect. So I feel comfortable giving the answer to that. We put in $25,000. There was a initial $500,000 capitalization of the company by Peter Thiel before he had the Founders Fund. And then there was a supplemental $100,000 closing that included three participants. It was Reed Hoffman, $37,500. Mark Pincus, $37,500. And WTI, 25000 for a total of 100000 So that note rounded off the $600,000 initial capitalization of Facebook that was done at a $5 million cap note in the fall of 2004 and very early 2005. And I thank Sean Parker for allowing us to do that. It was, it was his decision. Maurice, how many financings would you say that WTI has been doing in recent years? And how will that compare to 2020? You did mention that a lot of players are pulling in their horns. To be clear, I don't think we're going to pull in our horns. I think that we have a higher bar on a number of metrics than we might have had six months ago. But we look back to the failed IPO of WeWork as really the time when we felt the alarm bell had been rung. And so, you know, I'd say that these are not new things at WTI, the way we're looking at deals. They go back now several months. But 
the answer to your question is we do between 50 and 100 deals a year. And I would expect that this year will be no different. We've already done a number of deals in, in the first quarter here of 2020, and it, we think they're good deals. It's our intention to stay in the market. So we won't be pulling in our horns in the sense that we won't be looking at new deals. I do think, though, that deal activity in the venture ecosystem is going to slow down. And I think there's a lot of deals that have been midway through their processes here over the first few months of the year that are going to continue. They might get renegotiated. There might be some term changes, but I think they'll continue. I think it's going to get harder for the ecosystem when, it, when if we still can't meet with one another and meet new companies and have partner meetings in the traditional sense. So my sense would be that the longer this current situation goes, you will begin to see our slowdown. And I think that'll affect us too, if we're unable to get out of our houses, because I think a big part of what this ecosystem does is is socialize and, and kind of look each other eye to eye and, and kind of form those bonds. So I think that the slowdown might be a few months out, might be a quarter or two out, even if we have a nice sharp recovery in the market, even if we get the all clear sign that it's safe, which I don't expect to go back out. I think the second half of the year will have some slowdown, particularly in the third quarter, the first part of that. These are obviously very challenging times. What keeps you up at night as a CEO thinking about your business and the direction of the market in general? This one's a hard question for me because I think that the risks for our business to keep me up at night are the same risks that keep my family up at night about their health. I think that we're in uncharted territory about what it's going to mean to socialize, go back out, convene, and begin to piece together our lives again. I think that it's uncertain to me what our world's going to look like and whether business will ultimately come back together, reform in a way that's similar to the way it existed previously. So that does scare me. I think it's not only bad for WTI, for venture debt, for the venture capital ecosystem, but really for all of us and for the entire economy if, if we don't take the optimistic view of how that's going to go. And so it's unclear to me where this goes if, if a year from now we're, we're still asking ourselves if it's safe to go outside. I certainly hope that's not the case. On the other hand, I haven't seen any science that yet convinces me that I'll feel safe. And so I'm hoping somewhere those two trend lines come together. Maurice, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time this afternoon. You guys are great. Love your column. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of the Strictly VC Download. Hope you have a terrific weekend, and we'll see you back here next week. Stay safe out there. Wash your hands and don't forget to read the newsletter every single day. We're all in this together.